saying, what's the best reason why Odun's behind the window? Because if you were in the room with us, I would have a significantly greater likelihood of punching him right in the fucking jugular. <laughs> right in the jugular, right? Yeah. Right in the earlobe. No, the jugular. Yeah. I, I want to I wanna see him choke a little bit some days. <laughs> <laughs> He's been so unbelievably sassy with me the last couple shows, like behind the camera. I'll be honest, though. Kind of deserve it from time to time. What do you mean deserve it, dude? All I'm doing is speaking the truth. He doesn't like hearing that. People okay. take advantage of Chris, and when I call him out for being taken advantage of, he gets upset. All right, we'll go with that. Yeah, all right. Well, let me address the elephant in the room, and I'm not talking about Arun or anybody in particular. This is just a general statement of euphemism. Okay. Let me address the bigger issue in the room. Um, I know, honestly, that I'm an asshole. I know. There it is. Um, and I, I know. Okay, did you have a second one back there? <laughs> He's so good. He's so good. I feel like we're gonna walk over there, and all the cans are just gonna be open. <laughs> you okay? You have an heart attack? What's going on? No. You okay? No. He slow. He slow rolled it, dude. That's what he did. That was good. He gave us the crack and the pop. Yeah. All he needs is a snap. Yeah. Don't do that. That was not a real suggestion. But anyway. As, before I was rudely interrupted twice, I know that I'm an asshole. It's not because I want to be. It's not because it's even like the high stress thing. It's just I'm so busy. I don't have time for like the soft serve. Right. To stop and consider your feelings. Or the long conversation where, you know, like someone calls you and they, they tell you a bunch of shit and they finally get to the point and you're like, that could have been a text? Yes. Like send me the text. I know that. That is a popular movement going around. I see the memes and all that. Why are you calling me? Just text me. Or my favorite, and this happens in the office a lot. If you call me, okay, and I don't answer, don't walk over to my desk. <laughs> okay? Don't right. do that. Right. If I don't answer, it's because A, I'm busy. Yeah. B, I don't want to talk to you. Or C, I'm not there. But but those people, they're the go-getters, man. They want to make sure, like, I'm not stopping until I get an answer. Which is fine. It will come in the form of a response to your email. I'm the guy that will send you an email and then walk over to your desk. Hey, or your you, voicemail. Hey, did you, did you get my email? I feel like sometimes people just don't under, fundamentally understand how this works. <laughs> it's yeah. electronic mail. Yeah. You wait for my response to it. Yeah, what is the proper, like, what's, like, courtesy? 24-hour response time? I don't know. It depends on the job. It depends on the, on, on the circumstances. But look, you got to give someone the the opportunity to be an adult. Yeah. If they fail, then be pushy. Yeah, I get this is important to you, but yeah. I have a lot of important things going on too. Oh, well, I mean, I do. But yeah, in See? theory, you in this example where you're playing me would as well. Yes. Asshole exhibit A. I said I knew. Yeah. Okay. Can we focus on the show? Let's start the show. Time? Welcome back to the show, everybody. All right. Well. This week's show is going to be an interesting show because we've got um, a little bit of content and a lot to say about it, which is a bit of a strategic shift from us just usually citing off a ton of articles and sounding like we're sophisticated and knowledgeable. We know that we're not. <laughs> I mean. It's, it's the truth. It's, it is. Yeah. This is the number one financial literacy podcast in the world. You forgot to mention it. Oh, yeah. Sponsored by you. And the only way you really sponsor this show is to leave us what Saeed likes to refer to as an honest Five-star review. Whether that's on Apple or on Spotify. And if you happen to be a YouTube streamer, that's fine, too. Subscribe to the show. Leave a comment. Hit that bell. Or as they say in the industry, smash. 
Smash that like button. Yeah. 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 You don't want to miss all the good good. In my day, Smash Men had sex. Yes, me right? too. Yeah. I, like, Does it not mean that anymore? I remember a time when people would say, oh, I, I hooked up. But for me, when I was growing up, hooked up just meant like you... Made out. Kissed, yeah, kiss them. Does that actually mean... I think it... Does that mean sex is Some people refer to hooking up as like smashing. Mm. Okay, well, I, I'm very confused. Now, All right. now, here oh, we go. Well, there we go. Urban Dictionary back at it again. Smash. The action slash process of... You can go ahead and read that part. Yeah, you know. Ducking we, someone. Good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If I were reading a text message anyway. Hitting it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, damn, Carrie looks good as poop. I just want to smash her. I substitute the word poop in for more inflammatory words. <laughs> I don't know why we're, we're all of a sudden. It said shit, okay? Do we, we change the name of this podcast to like the Urban Dictionary podcast? Is I that mean, what we're it, doing? It is useful every single time. Yeah. Urban, if you can move the screen over to the right there a little bit more. Thank you. All right. So we're going to start off the top of the show with student loan repayments, which are resuming. We've talked about it a number of times in the show. If you followed it with the last couple of shows, we've referenced on two occasions how credit card debt has now hit an unprecedented level of $1 trillion. This ain't going to end well, kids. Nope. Then we're going to roll on through and talk about how much debt the average consumer carries in credit cards, which happens to be at, spoiler alert, a 10-year high. Yeah. Yeah. Those two things in and of itself are bad. And then I went down a bit of a rabbit hole again. Remember how last show I talked about being a little... Cotton-tailed bunny. Yeah. And then I took my little fluffy cotton-tail down a dark, yeah, deep hole. Yeah, I found that very odd. Where, where did that come from? That's not a popular saying. I like to reference dark holes. Yeah. With fluffy tails? What's going on there? I thought it was less inflammatory if I mentioned a rabbit. <laughs> a rabbit? Yeah. Okay. Only 16% of Californians can actually afford to buy a home. And believe it or not, that number in, I want to say, 2017, if you were to guess what number you, you think... 16% can afford to buy a home today in California. In California. What do you think that was in 2017? 2017. Wow. Just uh, guess a number. Any number you want. 24. 18%. Wow. So California has never been affordable by the masses, which is kind of stunning. Yes. Then I decided to add an article here. Are you rich? Actually, no. Scratch that. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot you'd even doing it this week. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have a little bit more on how this affects you. And then, of course, to wrap up the show, Saeed does what he likes to do by trashing FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. Yeah, I just, it was funny how this came out. This came out the day after we thought he was just sitting at home, relaxing, watching Tory Lanez go to jail. He going, shit. <laughs> In fact, he was at home going, shit. Yeah, yeah, they, they're on to me. <laughs> they caught me witness tampering again. <laughs> this actually on the heels when they released photos of what it looked like working inside FTX. Dude, we got to be very careful how we talk about these guys because I saw some stuff online where people trashing the crypto bros. Crypto bros weren't having it. Yeah, that like, I'm sure... I have tons of respect for crypto bros. I got, okay? honestly. All the respects. Some of my favorite people. In the world of crypto bros, you're a lying <laughs> piece of shit. If anybody can't say it, it's you. At least I went down the rabbit hole of owning crypto. You tried, yeah. And like learning Web3. Yeah. You just talk shit for six no, no, straight no. months. I did not. <laughs> yes, you did. I like them. They're good people at heart. They just don't understand. No, if, if Maury Povich were right here, we'd be pulling out a card saying, the lie detector test determined that was a lie. Yeah. <laughs> Those are my favorite. Yeah, you you're not getting off this one. Yeah. Crypto bros, it's Saeed at gmail.com. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> He's laughing. 
<laughs> you know, the sad part is, is because we air the show in, in two different formats. When we air it on YouTube, it's the it's the version that he's cutting audio wise. But when right. we do the podcast, it's the version that I cut. Right. Because I do it line by line, so mm-hmm. I make you know I make you guys sound a little bit different. Um, and I keep some of his laughing in that's not on the camera. Oh, really? Yeah. I keep, oh, I that's keep good. It Every once in a while, it adds it adds some texture to the show. That's good. Yeah. All right. So let's get into it, shall we? Let's do Article it. number one from. CNBC make it when student loan payments resume, 56% of borrowers say they will have to choose between their debt and buying groceries. I'm dodging my head because there's a camera in the way. That being said, I've got several paragraphs from this article because I thought the data here was really, really intriguing. And it set a good foundation for the rest of the show. Mm -hmm. Also, we don't have a lot to talk about this week, so it's a nice little filler section. Hey, man, when I said that shit a couple weeks ago, dude, and you got all over me, what what the hell is this? The way he worded it did not make it sound like we're a boring show. No, you make it sound like we're boring. I make it sound like we're sexy and educational while also providing a little bit more in-depth the days we don't have. You apologize right off the bat, like, hey, guys, sorry, we don't have a lot, so just <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, did. you did. You <laughs> did. You not. were like, listen, I know this show sucks. <laughs> And I'm sorry, but this is what I'm giving you yeah, today. It is what it is. Me, on the other hand, I said this is a little bit of filler. I'm the host you can trust. You're the one just taking on for a ride. That's hurtful. It was meant to be. Well, mission accomplished. Good job. Thank you. Did you know that Vin Diesel was originally supposed to be in the original Tokyo Drift, but then they, they redid it to make it about high school kids and cut him out? Why wait, is that wait, relevant? Wait. It's I not. I, I just felt that it was just what a stupid comment of sight. Tokyo Drift, one of the Fast and Furious movies, right? Okay, stop. Okay, you know what? I just can't talk to you anymore. <laughs> Wait, oh, dude, did I not know? What Just I? finish the show with the room. I'll be here. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know these things. I like cars. You like? Could yeah. you just indulge one thing they like every once in a while? Yeah. Why I is like, it always about you? I like Toyo tires. <sighs> You're lucky. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I am sponsored by Toyo tires, and I think they're a great they're a great brand. You yeah. should all buy Toyo tires all the time. Right. The show is not sponsored, however, by Toyo Tires. Yeah. <laughs> Someday, please. <laughs> we need love. All right. Unsurprisingly, 68% of borrowers with household incomes under $50,000 say they'll have to choose between keeping up with their loan payments, these student loan payments, and buying necessities, according to Credit Karma. But a large portion of high earners also expect to struggle. 45% of borrowers with household incomes of $100,000 or more say they'll be forced to make those hard choices as well. So again, $50,000 a year versus $100,000 a year, twice as much money, and still 68% versus 45% say they'll struggle. That's still a pretty significant number. Other debts may be part of the issue. Shocker. Say it's saying, I knew that, damn it. More than 50% of borrowers say they're struggling to pay auto loans, mortgages, credit card balances, and other bills, according to Credit Karma. So especially when your debt nationally, your auto loan debt is the highest it's ever been, your credit card debt is the highest it's ever been, and your non-household debt, which includes both those things, is at the highest it's ever been. So significant numbers, significant concerns, and obviously significant problems for some of the highest earners as well as our average earner in the United States. One option that could especially help lower-income borrowers is to apply for income-driven repayment plans. Now, I didn't put this in the show notes, but just before I came here, I actually found out something very interesting about this. So stay tuned for more on that just after I finish reading. Okay. 
Under the new savings on a valuable education IDR plan, families of three or more who earn $50,000 or less may qualify for a $0 monthly payment, for instance. Still, only 34% of borrowers say that they'll apply for an IDR plan to lower their monthly payments according to Credit Karma. And I'll guarantee you what I'm about to tell you next will make that number skyrocket. Though 72% of borrowers say they will prioritize their student loan payments over other debts, many still expect they won't be able to make payments and could see their loans enter delinquency. In fact, 45% of borrowers expect their loans to go delinquent when the forbearance period ends, the survey found. Now, why is IDR plan so important? That is actually the jump-off point for the next iteration of student loan forgiveness expected to start as early as next week. The recording of the show, of course, being today. I know income Monday, August eighteenth. Income-driven repayment plans have been around though for a while. This is they've the been first, around for a long time, this, but this the Biden the, administration is using that as that as their start-off point for their new version of student loan repayment. Yeah, or, or, or uh, forgiveness. forgiveness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the the tricky part with that is so they said with families of three or more. Right, making less than fifty thousand. But, but you have to continually provide verification of that. So I mean, the odds you're not going to you're not going to make more than fifty grand a year for your family for the next ten years. So what this does is the original argument with student loan uh, forgiveness was that it was unconstitutional. It treated similarly situated people differently. Now there's still an, a constitutionality argument here. But what they've done is they've upped the barometer in order to meet the forgiveness test right and that is you have to qualify for one of these plans and typically speaking if you were in one of these plans for i think it's 20 or 25 years don't quote me here i'm not an expert on this particular side of the topic that you were supposed to get forgiveness if you were in an idr plan and you paid for 20 or 25 years that was the intent but it never happened so the biden administration's new forgiveness program basically says we're going to start forgiving the debt we were supposed to forgive under the idr program and it's supposed to go further into those who haven't been paying for 20 or 25 years so I think you're going to start seeing people say, okay, shit, if nobody objects to this from a constitutional legal perspective, by the time it's supposed to roll out next week, they're going to want to be in this IDR program just in case. Yeah, and this is part of their onboarding process, right, for the over the course of the next 12 months. And coincidentally, it just happens to work out right around the time of the— Little thing uh, we like to call an election. The election, right? So Because yeah. he knows that he's probably going to get hit and dinged pretty hard by you know his base— if he doesn't fall and hit himself and get dinged pretty hard because he's been doing a lot of that lately. He has yeah. been doing that a Can lot. Can I be honest? Lately. Look, the man the man is 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 a war hero on some level, but politicians are I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, what side of the aisle you're on, like this has all gotten really, really just corrupt. But here's what I will say. I don't know that Biden's gonna make it, man. That's not a knock on him as a person. I'm just saying he looks fragile. The Adderall they're they're giving him to pay attention while he's on stage is not working the way that it once did. And it's kind of sad to see him degrade over time. It really is a sad thing it, to watch. It's it's hard to believe that um, he's going to run for another term, like as of right now, based on what we see. So, but we're not. This isn't a political show. We won't get into it. I'm into it. You're into I'm it. I'm knee deep. <laughs> you because are? I don't see a world where Kamala Harris gets to step into that role. So they're going. The, the Democrats are going to try to keep him in that role for as long as possible, right? Mm-hmm. But then you go, okay, well, if Trump just got indicted tonight, right? So. Is that their way of stopping him from running? And if Trump does, DeSantis can't run if Trump runs because Trump will just dominate. Right. So then is it DeSantis versus Newsom? I That's mean, a wild card, man. Yeah. I don't know. At the end of the day, 
So, I mean, I was a political science major, so I used to really geek out on all this stuff. But the more, as I have gotten older and based on what I've seen over the course of the last, you know, eight years, um, it's becoming more and more of a popularity contest. Yeah. And it just, it's just like, none of this shit matters. It doesn't matter what policies you stand by. Do I like you or do I not like you? Okay, you seem like a guy I can hang out with. I'll vote for you. You know what I can guarantee will happen? I can guarantee you at some point in time, someone like The Rock will say, fuck this, I'm going to run. And he will win. Yeah. He could win right. I believe he could truly win right now. Dude, what if someone like Logan Paul came out and was like like 20 years from now? I think he's too controversial. Well, maybe 20 years from now. That's what I'm saying. He could, too- he could reshape his image. That's the power of social media and clout, though, that people don't understand. Like, these politicians are fighting on an older, an older base. Yeah. That's why podcasts are so dangerous. Imagine Logan Paul running for president. He's got a team just working on the reels and the shorts in the background at all times. Oh, yeah. You, says, you would see him everywhere you went. Yeah. Everywhere you went, you'd see his ads. Yeah, because they're just genius marketers. And now mainstream media becomes less important over the next couple of years. Podcasts are becoming more important. That's mm-hmm. why you're seeing a lot of political commentary on podcasts. Dude, this politician is going on podcast now. Yeah, I know. So so let me ask you this. Um, do you think student loans is going to be the thing that is ultimately going to trigger the recession? It very well could be. I don't think that anybody knows that answer for sure. Um, certainly when we go to the next article, also from CNBC, the average consumer carries $5,947 in credit card debt. That's at a 10-year high. Um, and this from the article, as Americans increasingly lean on credit, which, again, I would say lean is probably an understatement, but we'll, we'll go with that. To make ends meet, new reports show signs of potential problems ahead. Total credit card debt has surpassed the $1 trillion mark for the first time in ever in history. The New York Federal Reserve reported earlier this week, and we told you about on a prior episode, from one year ago. According to uh, a, a ruins highlighting, what are you doing? Credit card balances are up almost 20% from a year ago, according to a separate quarterly uh, credit industry insights report from TransUnion, one of our three credit bureaus. The average balances per consumer rose to the $5,947 number, the highest in 10 years, TransUnion also found. Not only are balances higher, but more cardholders are also carrying debt from month to month, according to another bank rate report. Of those carrying credit card balances, 60% have been in debt for at least a year. Mm. that is a bad starting point well, to layer back in student loan debt. Well, I know there was a, there was a stat, and I was, I was trying to find it right now, that there's a, a huge chunk of the population that has been carrying the same credit card debt since, you know, the great financial crisis. Oh, the minimum payment makers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the scary part. So, you know, there's people that have been now carrying credit card debt, you know, for decades, right? And... We know now that credit card debt is at an all-time high. That just means more people in the same position. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting squeezed tighter and tighter. You know, they're barely making ends meet, and they're using credit cards to now keep them afloat. This is the reason why I asked you: Do you think student loan payments, them coming back online, is is that going to be the thing that triggers a recession? Because we already know people are using them to make ends meet. They're only making the minimum payments. Now you layer in an additional two to four hundred dollars in student loan repayments, what could that ultimately do to the economy? So let's put the visual to this. So Arun just pulled up. Thank you very much, by the way. Very in tune with the show tonight, my friend. Pulled up. Credit card balance in the U.S. have crested at $1 trillion. It's the same chart we've referenced on a previous show. And I like this chart for a couple different reasons. 
Number one, it shows you the Great Recession. It's a very, very faint light blue bar going up from just after 2020. Another Great Recession. It, goes, it shows you the pandemic recession, I should say. Right. Um, and it shows you this great line. Everything after that has been pretty much a dip straight down. And then now it's spiking back up. It's almost a 45-degree angle back up. We're at the highest number we've been at in ever. And now you say, okay, why is there such a negative sentiment to people saying, I can't afford these student loan payments? It's because they haven't been making them. And they haven't been living with the idea that they're going to make them, they're going to continue to make them. Number one, some of them are like, okay, well, this will be forgiven by Biden. And they were wrong. Mm. Number two, some of them just said, I'll deal with it when the time comes. Irresponsible, sure. But even Americans that are financially successful can be irresponsible when they think they've got years to figure it out. Right? Some of them thought, well, I can get a loan and, you know, refinance, or I can do all these things. I'm like, I can refinance my home and pull cash out. And now rates have popped up. A lot of them, or some of them had other plans. I think, I think another big part of this, too, was inflation. If you look at that figure, remember, it peaked at its highest in June of 2022 at 9.1%. Mm-hmm. where we know it was really probably closer, like somewhere between 17 to 20%, right? Yeah, an actual impact to people's everyday lives. Yes. Yeah, So, but the reported figure was only 9.1%. And if people were using credit cards even back then to make ends meet or, you know, to, you know, use to help their lifestyle, well, interest rates started going up from there. What happened? They can only afford their minimum payments. They're not mm-hmm. able to pay off their balances in full. And that ultimately just keeps stacking up. And, we know from consumer behavioral economics, right? They're not they're not ready to change at the flip of a dime. Well, and then you layer in what is now closer to twenty five percent interest rates on these cards, and yes. your interest payments have gone up. So now you're paying even more every single month, and still not paying down interest. And then I said paying down principal, I should say. It, it's very difficult for people to understand. Like, okay, now I got to pay. I'm paying a higher interest only portion just to keep my balances the same on my credit cards. And now my student loans are coming back in at several hundred dollars a month. It, it, it's a multi cocktail for a disaster. This could be the spark that starts to get more homes listed and sell homes. It could also cause my bigger fear, which is the evisceration of the middle class. And this is a little bit political, and, and it's very, very much politicized, I think. But I want to think about this objectively. So if you're listening to the show and you have a political thought on the middle class and upper class, this is not the context I want to I want to talk about. We've talked about on the show that wealth creation is typically for most Americans centered in the equity increase they get in their homes. And a lot of Americans have seen the the beneficial upside of that in the last couple of years. Between 2020 and 2022, you saw a 47% rise in some areas in home values alone. That was a huge bump to the average net worth of most Americans. I saw this article, and uh, Logan from Housing Wire, he's their chief economist, and, and I had a bit of a debate about it. He actually gave a presentation in Wall Street in 2017 where the number was 18% of Californians could afford to buy a home. And now only 16%, according to this article from Bloomberg Business, only 16% of Californians can afford to buy a home. Uh, buyers need $208,000 in income in order to do that, which is a, a lot for, for most Americans. And certainly, if, if you're not a single-income household, I mean, forget about it. Buying a home in California slipped further out of reach as interest rates climbed and scarce inventory bolstered prices. Only 16% of American households could afford, I'm sorry, of households in California, could qualify to purchase a home with a medium-priced single-family home in the second quarter. The California Association of Realtors report, reported this on Friday. That's down from 19% in the first quarter and 17% from a year earlier. 
The state faces an affordability crisis, which we know demand without affordability is not demand. That is truly what I what I mean when I'm talking about it. Uh, affordability crisis that threatens to hamper growth in the economy and population. People and companies have left California or chosen to not to move there because housing is so much more expensive than in most of the U.S. Okay, I understand that California is a terrible proxy for the rest of the country, but let's think about California in a different context. California is has a massive GDP. They're, they're comparable to some countries, okay? If California is one of the most, used to be one of the most desirable places to be and people are leaving in part due to this, sometimes in part because of the politics, if only 16% of Californians can afford to buy a home, we have the highest credit card that we've ever had. You got student loan repayment starting. How are these people going to build wealth in the next generation, next 10, 15, 20 years? Yeah, I, I feel like the only way they're even even going to be able to accomplish this is having to move out of the state and start somewhere else, which you feel for them, right? Because you know their families are all here and you don't want to have to move away from your family. But to your point, California being one of the most desirable places to live, um, a report that came out that I looked into said California actually has the highest share of million-dollar homes in the U.S., mm -hmm. right? Um, which which yep. you can see, but um, home prices are up 3.2% year over year again. So I know some regions and some markets. Is that, is that nationally? Yeah, yeah, nationally, right? So you're going to see some places like, okay, San Francisco's come down, San Jose's come down significantly, right? But what does that tell you? If in those regions they're coming down significantly, but the national averages are still up, where they're coming down, some places are still going up. And what needs to happen is there needs to be more stress on the system. Something is going to need to cause more stress on the system to get more units back online so that prices can come down and make things more affordable again, right? And this is this is the big farce that we're seeing is everyone's saying, well, you know what? Home values aren't going to go down. There's an inventory supply demand. And it's, it's the Dave Ramsey pitch, right? Yeah. And this is the fundamental problem with it. If it doesn't correct, and the realtors and Dave Ramsey and everybody else are right, we've got a massive, massive problem on the horizon. And to give you an example, a proxy for how big this problem is, even before this affordability crisis, I included two photos here. I don't want to cite the source because I hate it, so I'm not going to. Uh, but in 1960, the median family income was $5,600. The median cost of a house was $11,900. Effectively, about twice the median income. Okay? In 2023... Median family income is $70,700, okay? And think about that in the context of those people who had credit card debt. They're not the $100,000 earners. They're closer to the $50,000 earners who over 60% think they, they, they're just not going to be able to make student loan payments. This is them. This is us. This is America. This is the median, okay? Median cost of a house, $416,000, also at a high, by the way, or slightly off it. And that is far greater than double the $70,700 salary. That is the baseline of where we are nationally. So it's not just California. Right. I don't care what anybody says. It's not just California. And what what is it going to take, right? Is it going to take maybe a recipe of student loan payments getting out of control, the Fed holding rates for an extended period of time in order for people to really feel the pressure and get squeezed because right now we've cited this on the show before, but 
92% of homeowners have a mortgage rate below 6%. There's no incentive for them to leave. Not yet, but Not there very yet. well could be when this all starts to come to a head. Yes, exactly. There is a catalyst somewhere for change. We just don't know what that looks like optically yet. Right. We don't know. and But a big part of uh, what I also wanted to get into earlier with the credit card debt and what's going to happen with you know home affordability as well is with the whole remote work situation, right? Because uh, when, when remote workers were asked to start to come back to the office, that gasoline expense that they were no longer accounting for, that got layered in. I mean, I can speak for myself personally. When I had to start coming back into the office, right, that was an extra $400 expense every month. Mm-hmm. The amount of gas. Now I don't drive the most fuel efficient car. It wasn't just. Yeah, I mean, you do drive a big. I do. I do Jeep, drive. But... A, I do drive a Jeep, but I lived considerably like not not that far away. Dude, I heard that. I heard people selling their second car. Mm-hmm. You know, we always go everywhere as a family now. So then we, they had we, to go we, buy a car, and values went up. Right. Yeah, it was a whole problem. Listen, then, to, listen to listen to the stat that I that I was able to find, and I um I wanted you to hear because this blew me away, man. The distance between home purchase and previous residence. This is from the National Association of Realtors. Since 2018 to 2021 was 15 miles away. So from the previous place to where they go buy their home, only 15 miles away for over three to four years. Okay. Okay? 2022 jumped to 50 miles away. Yeah. A lot of that had to do with remote work. You're not going there every day. You're not going there every day, but also it's an affordability issue. I can speak on that personally. Right. When I when my wife and I decided to buy our first home, right? And this was in 2015 when, you know, rates were still low and but all we could afford was to buy out somewhere in the Inland Empire, which was a ways away from Orange County where I was working at. Right? But that's where I needed to go because that's all I could afford, right? If I wanted to have a home a starter home for my family and I. And um I don't know, I'm curious to get your take on that like what is that something that you've ever you've seen people have to consider uh, more so now? What do you mean, the geographic location? Of where yeah, just so, because they can't afford anything in these hot, desirable markets, right? Like, oh, you're seeing a mass exodus that way. And there's for for decades, one of the most compelling arguments I've heard about the the segregation of the middle class and the upper class and the lower class, the the gap of the middle class getting smaller and smaller and the lower class increasing, the upper class increasing and pretty much gapping up the middle class is that you need to have affordable housing in these areas so that workers can work to support the lifestyle that this upper class like demands, right? Where do your housekeepers come from? Where do you get food from? Where does your grocery store worker come from? If they have to move so far away because they can't afford to live in these areas because it's just so affluent and so expensive, there's no affordable housing. You start to degrade the quality of life for this high net worth individual, these upper class individuals. So there, there's, there's certainly a fallout to come that we're going to see economically. And I, I think now more than ever, we're in a really weird position where I think it's going to be compelling. You're not having people buy homes at the cadence they once did. You're not having people sell homes at the cadence they once did. You're having debt skyrocket. I look at all these things and I see so many sophisticated bankers and economists and people out there who were really, really interested in, in predicting the economy say, you know what, I think we might avoid a recession. And I think that's the worst thing you could tell me. If we don't address these issues and we don't have a market pivot, what comes next 
is really fucked up for some, and that's the technical term, fucked up. Mm-hmm. And yet everybody is is so laissez-faire. It's frustrating. I, I speak to a lot of people, um, and maybe it's because I'm just inquisitive about how they're doing in businesses or what's going on with them. And I try to I try to take the pulse of people in certain industries. And the level of optimism that I think people have still in industries that I know are inherently riskier in bad times is still compelling. They truly believe these businesses will not fail. When I've seen them fail in a number of recessions over and over again, because that's the first thing that people stop or the, you know, something that people don't do in recessionary economies, it's discretionary spending, if you will. And the level of confidence, it's complete denial. And, And it scares me because there is no good ending here. If we don't have a recession, we don't have this happen. This gap gets exaggerated badly over the next couple of years, and it's going to be a painful, painful pivot society-wise. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know. So one of the things that's going to start coming out this week is you have your retail earnings that are coming out, and why it's important for everyone to maybe check those out is it'll give you great insight into the consumer spending, right? So your Home Depots, your Walmarts, your Targets—they're all reporting quarterly earnings this week. I'm not expecting right. any like big pivots in that not, for now. Not yet, right? But if you can start to look at them now and you slowly compare, right, over the upcoming times, you can see if the consumer starts to pull back, you know they're in bad shape. And what happens next after after the consumer pulls back, they're in bad shape. Now businesses will be in bad shape. And I think we're going to see more of that. So I'm already starting to see from from a banking perspective. I'm already starting to see small balance delinquencies a little bit more out there. I'm starting to see like equipment finance delinquencies a little bit more out there. Tiny increases, tiny increases that only somebody who's been in the industry is, is, you know, as long as I have over decades, like I've seen ups and downs and normalized stuff. I'm starting to see tiny cracks, nothing that's going to make like big time news yet, but I think you're going to start to see it. Right. You said equipment financing, go into that a little bit. I don't think a lot of people know about that. So equipment financing typically operates in the form of like leasing generally, right? So equipment lending, it's a type of small business lending in my mind. And there's obviously different versions of it, different scales of it. But I think a lot of people in that, in the small business space in particular, are really where you're starting to see some of those early cracks, it's the small businesses, the mom and pops, those, those, those smaller, frankly, companies that depend more on, on their local communities. Mm -hmm. Those are where you start seeing the cracks come in. The larger companies will have spending pulled back, but they'll be able to have such volume that they can they can generally pivot. The equipment financing, somebody buys a machine. Um, if you're a a baker and you need a mixer, you know, a big industrial mixer. If you're uh, making mattresses and you need a big machine that, sh- that you know cuts the mattresses in, in certain pieces because they're you know big foam mattresses. Uh, if you're um, what about if, if you're like a dentist? If you're a dentist and you need you know some equipment for your office, or if you, I one of my clients back in the day was a big pasta maker, and they had this massive industrial pasta making machine. It was it was impressive. They all finance their equipment, and the reason why they finance it with equipment leases is it's got tax benefits for them, depreciation, all sorts of good stuff for them. Uh, and that type of financing is generally higher rate than your traditional loans would be. It's generally shorter periods of time, and because equipment you know really depreciates faster. So it's, it's in my mind, it's where you start seeing the beginning stages of kind of cracking. And I'm starting to see tiny, tiny, tiny bumps up across the industry, across the sector, across the country. I wouldn't be surprised. I haven't seen anything myself yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, some of these borrowers in these spaces where you're starting to see cracks in are going to come 
back to the lenders asking to work something out, you know, because they obviously the banks don't want to see them see them go down under, but the banks are in a tough position too, right? I don't think you, you typically see that as much in that side of the business because usually it's by the time you find out that the smaller businesses are usually heading towards or already in bankruptcy positions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like too late. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very rare that you see it early enough to really do anything about it. And generally speaking, it's a piece of equipment. So it's already, it's like a car. It started depreciating once you started using it. Mm. So it's not a lot of inherent value in liquidating it. Right. So there, there's payment plans, stuff like that you can go on. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's an interesting business. It definitely behaves very unique and different. But if the credit card levels are as high as they are, we're walking into student loan repayment, which is going to put additional stress on the system. And then you have this segment of the small business population, which is already showing almost like pandemic-like stress. I think it was the last time I've probably seen it. I would say there's enough early warning signs now that I'm I'm still... Some people after the whole banking contagion period were like, you know what? We've gotten through this. Like, we're okay. These banks have failed. Uh, tech sectors had all these layoffs. But we're generally okay. You know, things are okay. Like, I feel good. I feel good. And I'm like, yeah, I don't feel so good. Like, I just don't. And, and maybe I'm just hyper paranoid and that, that could be it. I am an asshole. We started the show off that way. Mm-hmm. But as much as I would love to be rosy and optimistic, in my mind, the worst thing that can happen is we don't have a recession. Because that, that, that's got generational impacts for years to come. I, I feel like that's just delaying the inevitable. Well, yeah, and it's also making it worse. If you're right now, let's say 30, and you want to buy a property and you can't afford to buy one, by the time you buy one with these prices and the money you need to save, let's say five, seven years from now, you're now 37 before you start building wealth. What's your wealth position going to look like when you're 60 versus somebody who bought a home when they're 20 and they're 60? Right. For the example that you gave earlier where, you know, uh, how much families were making back in the 60s and what homes cost to what it is now, you know, we've never been in a position like this. So for people to no. feel, for, for people to feel like this is, it's going to be okay, it might not. It might not be okay. It certainly might not. Well, let's let's go to the next article. I think this has got a good, like, I guess pulse, right? Or let's go to the uh, the Instagram portion of it because the quote there I thought was interesting, but it is a, it is a pretty good article. So the article is from Bloomberg Business. Large swaths of Americans, rich, regular rich Americans, still feel poor. Regular rich? Yeah. Well, this, this explains a little bit. So billionaires know who they are, right? They they know they're rich, right? Low wage workers are very well aware that they aren't, right? If you're not making a whole lot of money, you know you're poor yeah, or poor, respectively. You see the lifestyles that other people are living. Right? But the vast swaths of Americans, of the regular rich, don't feel that way. It's keeping everybody down. In a nationwide survey of over 1,000 objectively wealthy Americans, defined in this case as making at least $175,000 a year, keep in mind the average income in this country is about $70,700 a year, right? So you're making... More than double that. Right. Right. A quarter said they were either very poor or poor or getting by, but things are tight. Half describe themselves as just comfortable. Man. That's... On $175,000 a year. Right. Because people people don't adjust their spending, right? And it's also, it's like that, there's a saying that's been going on forever that, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. Once you make over a certain amount, you know, the incremental you know, like raises that you get. Do you know what that, that certain amount was? Like 75 grand? $75,000. $75,000. It's not going to make you any happier. You think it's going to make you happier, but it's not because people also aren't adjusting their spending, right? 
And people would rather spend to look rich than to act like they're rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like Which spending is, tra- money on Travis. God. See, I'm wearing a pair of 1990 uh, Air Max. Original 1990s that you bought from Foot Locker, probably. I did. Uh, yeah, I did. And uh, you're buying, you're wearing a pair of really exclusive, hard to find shoes. I mean, Jesus, I. <laughs> this. Ball so hard. No, these are a gift from the wifey. Yeah, they were a gift from the wifey. Yeah. All right. But yeah, that that's that that's the problem, right? So people don't adjust their spending. Um, and it's the question is what what are they going to do if if home affordability continues to be to get out of hand? Do they continue to save and hold out for that, or do they just adjust their lifestyle and say, "Look, this isn't for me. I'm going to take my money and invest rather just invest it in the market and you know build my wealth that way." Well, much to the conversation that we had earlier. There is a reoccurring trend. Continuing on in the last paragraph of the article, many of these regular rich Americans have considered moving to a different part of the country for lower taxes and cheaper cost of living. But how much of a difference would moving actually make? The article goes into that very question and goes into detail. If you're interested, read the article. But we won't, we'll spare you the details and suffice it to say, that moving is not as financially lucrative as a, of a windfall that I think most Americans were hoping to get. Right. And for me, when I did it uh, back in 2015, it, it was only, I, it's not because I, I knew where the market was going. It's, only, it's just that's what made sense for me. We talk about all, all the time on the show, your home is your utility. And for me, that, that's just what made sense. Right, the, but, the other problem here too is is if these Americans who make one hundred seventy five thousand dollars a year, these, these thousand Americans in this case, want to move. If you already are a homeowner, now you're messing with a bigger challenge. Let's say you live here and you've got a three percent rate or a four percent rate in California. Let's say you want to move to Texas. Your rate's going to be seven percent now. Even if you buy a bigger home or a smaller home. The challenge is going to be your cost of funds. Is let's so talk, much let, more. I mean, let's talk about that a little bit because not only does the rate go up, but people I'm sure have heard all throughout the you know pandemic or over the course of the last three years that there was a huge push over to cities like Austin, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say in a lot of there was a huge push to go over to Texas. People people looked at Texas as a tax shelter because there's no state income tax. But what is what does that mean for the property taxes? The property taxes are well over two percent. In some cases, two point six, two point seven five percent, depending on which area you live in. So what do so, you have to do in order for that to for that to actually make sense for you to move? Like, what's the price point, or you know, how much how much further down do you come down? Well, I'll use myself as an example, so I don't um, I don't pontificate too much. My wife and I were fortunate enough to to buy the house that we have a long time ago, and we bought it for three hundred twenty five thousand um, dollars. Yeah, so I, I think that's it. Or three fifty with a twenty five thousand dollars seller credit. So three hundred twenty five thousand net. Uh, when rates got really low, I refinanced down. I didn't have a high rate. I think it was like 6% when I started. And then I think we refinanced down to 2.71%. So my state taxes in California, I have income tax. I have all those things, you know. And I, I pay quite a bit here. It, it's, a, it's a pretty significant hit. I want to say approximately 13%-ish on my W-2 wages. If I were to move to Texas, I would have to get a higher rate right now. I'd probably be closer to 7%. I'd probably be buying a home of greater value. But let's just say I kept the value the same, right? Because me, my price point is so low. Some Americans, you know, can move from states like New York, California, Florida, 
to Texas and buy a smaller home and get our smaller cost home and get more home and square footage. I, I won't have that luxury. Well, I'll get more square footage, but it'll be at least the same amount or more, right? Because we live conservatively. So now my rate on that changes. And now my tax rate, which in California is about approximately 1.16%-ish, would go to 2.6, if not higher, percentage there. So I'm actually kind of paying more on an interest rate basis and on a tax basis. It makes my net net with the state taxes about the same. Mm. Right. Roughly. Roughly. Well, and it's, it's some other things like your, your utilities and you wind up spending way more on electricity uh, for air conditioning in the Midwest. I mean, obviously it was born there, so I know the area well. You have air conditioning on pretty much year round, whereas in California, if you look close enough to the beach like we do, you don't really run the electricity like that often. Right. Other the air conditioning, sorry. But then you wouldn't be able to go to Disneyland every week. Multiple times a week. How <laughs> dare you underestimate the love and passion <laughs> that uh, we have in our family. For, for the mouse. Well, my, my, my son. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he, uh, he, he is there a lot. Good for him, it's man. at the point now where I'm like, do you have fun today, son? Four-year-old. He goes, yeah, it was good. We went on Pirates. We went on Small World. Uh, we didn't go on a whole lot of rides today. I had a cream cheese-filled pretzel. It was fine. <laughs> and you're like, you've got no... He, he, he's lost all sensitivity to the idea of how special <laughs> this is supposed to be for him. Right. It's just like a thing they do. Right. So did you want to uh, go ahead and piss off the crypto bros now? Or did you want to wait till possibly a, a later time in the show to effectively get your hate? So, so your boy Sam Bankman Fried is going to jail now. This guy had it made. He had it made. Sitting at home in his palazzo. House arrest. A real palazzo. Not yeah. like Odun's palazzo. I mean, you guys both have drivers. I'm trying to right? distance I'm trying to distance myself. I'm done with you. Come on. Can we he's outside, we're inside. Can we team your up against him? Your house has more square footage than mine. That's not true. I thought you just added like a whole wing to your house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This guy had it made. He was sitting at home in his palazzo. He started doing some witness Didn't tampering. Didn't you add like a whole special concrete backyard with like special planters and. Yeah. And, so we got rid of the grass in the backyard and just put cement. Yep. I mean, you're down. That's like. That's a I major. Mean, is that I mean, what we did? That's that, a major That downplay. sounds like very, very underrated. Boring. Are you yeah, trying to be yeah. humble right now? Is that what you are? Yeah. I am far from humble. Your new nickname is Ben Humble? Yeah. Yeah. So on the, on the I think the last episode that we, when we talked about this, oh, we need to address this too, by the way. Mm. On the last episode, we talked about everyone's expecting a certain individual to be sitting in this chair right now. Right? Oh, Arun to be in that chair? <laughs> no, no, Arun was supposed to sit in this chair too. But then we said on the episode, we said, oh, in the next episode, you guys are going to have uh, Larry Wheels on. Right? So don't get, don't be alarmed. It's just, it's just me. I'm alarmed. But that episode's going to come out now on Friday. Actually, we were lying to you. Um, <laughs> he didn't want to be in the show, so we thought if we if we teased it long enough, you guys would keep listening and tell your friends. Yeah. And none of you told your friends, so now we're just we're just going to admit to lying. Yeah, we're lying. No, it's coming out. It's coming out Friday. Is it? It is. That seems really assertive given our current <laughs> position right about now. I figured we keep the lie going. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So the truth is, these things take a little bit of time. We want Larry to have the opportunity to review the content, the reels, everything else, and we want to be able to drop it when he's had an opportunity to to, re- to review everything. He's been traveling, and he's got some dates that he had planned. So, so probably I, by Friday. I rewatched the whole episode. The nicest guy. This guy. He just seems so nice. nice, very open, very transparent. I thought it was really, really. So I showed my wife a clip uh-huh. of the video. 
she i mean she never likes watching any of the stuff that we do like you know she's like uh-huh yeah okay whatever honey <laughs> yeah. like she, cause she's gonna listen to the show in the car right dude I, I told i read one of the reviews to my wife you know, the, the person was like oh, you guys are my heroes she's like you you're a loser do they know you <laughs> yeah like no, yeah like you, do they know your assholes right yeah <laughs> Exactly. Like, like, How do they like you? Like, do they know those are dick jokes? I can barely like stand you. Yeah, I have to hear you at home, and now when I drive, the fuck. Yeah. Seriously. Or the most awkward thing ever. I mean, this happens to you, right? People get in your car and you're listening to you. They're like, you're so. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You arrogant my piece son, of my, shit. My son, he mocks me to this day. Hey, my name's Ayu. I have a podcast. <laughs> Adam does it all the time. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, that that episode's coming out Friday. But your boy on that on that episode where we talk about, we said, "Oh, I think that's what my wife said." My wife said, "You look tiny compared to him." I'm like, "Thanks for the confidence boost, honey." Yeah, bro, Damn. everyone looks tiny compared to Larry. Now you know why I missed the episode. I almost there's no way I was gonna be on camera with that guy. No, you really wanted to be here. Stop it. I really, really did. Your, your level of FOMO was so palpable. Rune and I were afraid to finish and leave here because we thought you might be outside waiting to stab us. Are you always afraid to finish? Yes. Yes. I love you guys so much that I don't want it to be the last time. Got it. Every time. Got it. So we were making fun of uh, Tory Lanez being sentenced to jail for shooting Meg the Stallion in the foot. In the foot. I still don't. I still think if I shoot you in the foot right now, okay? Right. If we got an argument, I'm like, bitch, pop, 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 pop. Yeah. Like, what did he, what did she say to get shot in the foot? Do do we not get to know? I mean, that's a good question. But all, all I'm saying is, if I shot you in the foot, if I chose. Not to shoot you in the face, not to shoot you in the chest. It's a foot. Not the Wait. extremities, just a foot. Are, are you walking now? Are you still dancing? No, like you're outside my car, right? If I shoot you in the foot, right? Yeah. And you can limp off and call the police on me because I didn't kill you or, or like literally wound you for life. If you can say, ah, he shot me in the foot, ah, right? Right, like what if it was a toe? That's yeah. still considered the foot? I mean, again, even if you lost a toe... You don't grab shit with your toes. I mean, 10 you years. You could technically function with four toes and nobody would know, right? He's, 10 years is a long time for that kind of shooting. He's contributed so much to society. I feel like this is tantamount to, to being caught smoking weed three times before the laws changed and being sentenced to life. Honestly. That's, that's it's too and, much. Okay, all jokes put aside, it's so crazy to me that those people have been sentenced to life and then during the pandemic, they were allowed to stay open as an essential business. We legalized it. That is. Fucking, can you imagine that, that shit? Is, can you imagine being in jail for life when now the, the dispensaries are open as an essential business? Yeah. That's fucking wild, man. I'm sure there was some reform or something that happened there. But dude, the, one, of the, one of the passion projects that I read about from time to time, I spend a lot of time, is reading about wrongfully convicted people. Mm. Holy shit, man. Some of these stories. And some of them you're like, okay, well, you don't really know. It's like a story versus somebody else's story. And there's just circumstantial facts. And some of them... They just have data that comes out. Are you talking they, about the whole Adnan Saeed trial? Remember that? That's one of them. But his is one of those where, like, you can have a, a, a spectrum of a viewpoint because there's just not enough data to go, okay. No, there's enough data now, man. I no, don't think you listen to the follow-up. I haven't listened to follow-up. But here's what I'll say. is that There's enough questionable content there to make some people go, nah, I don't know. There's people who got convicted of rape. They got DNA tests back. Mm. And it's not them. Yeah. And they've been in jail for, like, decades. And you're just like, Fuck, can you imagine being that guy? Mm. Can, like, decades of your life taken away from you. And you, the whole time, were saying, I did not do this. I am not guilty. I am not guilty. And the court system puts you in jail. And then now, 
because somebody fought for you, somebody believed in you, somebody did the due diligence, and they tested this the DNA, and now you're out. Yeah. I mean, how how like bitter are you? How angry are you at the system? Mm. It's so sad, man. Not to mention they go in. I, as I can't. In, I can't even listen to any of that stuff because it, it hurts too. It hurts too much. Uh, I I I spent a lot of time reading it, and th maybe this is why, as an attorney, like I, I have, I've always told people that the legal system is such an imperfect system. It really comes down to to money and willingness to fight, and some people have a willingness to fight and a ton of money, and the the, the law will sometimes benefit them even though they're wrong. They're just the aggressor. In the legal system, and they can afford better attorneys, and I mean all the things, and the, you don't, they get, the other person gives up because they just don't have the money or the time. Right. We uh, we used to have some friends that we were pretty close to that. They, used to have friends? That's cute. Yeah, used to have friends that One were or two. Was that we were, yeah, there were two. They were yeah. actually a husband and wife, and Timmy and Carmen. Uh, they were they were uh, they were both on the uh, defense side, so they were like initially start, like public defenders, yeah. because they felt like even though they understood that, and it was always so hard for me to wrap my mind around because I had never met attorneys that chose that path right the public defender route yeah the, the defender route that just that understood that the judicial system is swayed so one way and for a lot a lot of times it's racking up wins for some of these prosecutors but they usually go into private practice afterwards still just like the prosecutors yeah do, yeah, they, they, yeah they, no they, make, they, they do crush. and they, they do crush but for them it's like some of these people who can't afford attorneys mm -hmm. right they need someone to be able to defend them right because they just get dealt Really bad cards. You know what? You want to know how I knew that I was going to be a shitty attorney and that my, I always knew when I was in law school that it probably wasn't going to be my thing. But I'll never forget, I tried to intern and I interned with the public defender's office. And I don't want to say where it's at because I don't want to get anybody out there. And I was there for probably two days. And I walked in um, and the criminal tells the public defender, I raped her. Your job is to get me off. I'm pleading not guilty. And I was like, uh, can I kill him now? Are there cameras here? Does anybody know? Yeah. I, I was just like, this, this is not the, this is not the path I'm going on. This is not what I'm going to do every day. Right. Yeah. This, this is not me. It's like, you deserve to go away for a very, very long time. Speaking of which Sam Bankman fried is going back away for what appears to be a very long time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The, I don't. Th it, it didn't come out right exactly which witness he was caught tampering with. No, but he uh, he apparently was uh, tampering with witnesses. I wonder if they like the prosecution baited him into that shit. Like, we know you're gonna do it. No, for sure. He called like uh, what's her face, the ex girlfriend, Catherine, of his, Catherine, or whatever yeah, the hell was that was her name, right? No, I think it was. No, it wasn't. What was uh, <laughs> the girl? The, yeah, what's her name? What was your nickname for her again? Damn it! You had a nickname for her, Hermione. No, um, right there, that girl, yeah, Carolyn, Carolyn Ellison, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, I was close. You for sure called her and was like, "Baby, I love you." She didn't deserve. You're not going to testify against me, are you, baby? She, I love you. She didn't deserve for me to remember her name. You don't remember? God, it's such a joke. Just looking at her, I'm just like, "Come, Come on, on, man." And the yeah. interviews were <laughs> so bad. It's gonna be. I, I can't wait to see how this all plays out. I can't wait for the uh, Netflix documentary. He's not gonna live. No, he's not on. gonna live. You know, someone's gonna kill the crypto this guy. bros. Gonna what? Be, what? In the shit is that? That's not a real photo. That's got to be photoshopped. Carolyn. That's Photoshop. Oh, oh, I was wow. gonna say you had me, dude. I tattoos was like, threw me though. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, we got it. That's gonna be that's gonna be my post. Yeah, <laughs> for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> You're a terrible human. Yeah. I respect it. So we got a couple of reviews that we still need to touch on from last is week. Is Jonah Hill gonna play? 
Has Sam Bankman fried? Who else is going to do it? But he, he's now super skinny and he shaved all his hair off and everything else. Seth Rogen, maybe? Because it got to be the curly hair, right? Not with the laugh. The laugh can't do it. Curly hair, that seems that seems a little... Well, because he had curly hair, right? It's Put a wig on anybody, on. bro. What are you doing? Oh, really? I don't know. Eh, I feel like Jonah Hill's better. better, better I like Jonah Hill better. Although that last movie that he did was... God. Which one? The one where he's marrying Eddie Murphy's daughter. Yeah. That was... You're better than this, bro. He's going through some you shit. You can't work with Leonardo DiCaprio and then follow up with that shit. Come on. He's just going through some shit. I think he did that film because it was all local in LA. That's not him now. That's him now. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. That's him now. That was him like a week ago. He lost a bunch of weight, shaved his beard off, everything else. And uh, and uh, yeah, that, that's him. Surfing. Look at him. No, uh, he used to. Oh, he was His ex was a surfer, a girl. She just released a bunch of text messages between. He seems like such a nice guy. Released the, text messages. The text messages aren't very nice. He's like. Basically, I mean, I don't want to use a term, but he's basically gaslighting her into removing pictures of herself in a bikini off her social media, and she referenced him as controlling, and now the media's kind of taking a bit of a, a spin on it. I he's, mean, how harsh was it? And then just after her, he got, he got the next girlfriend pregnant, now mm -hmm. that they're having a baby, I think. I don't know what the deal is. I mean, I'm not. I'm not against. It wasn't that, that harsh, to be honest with you. I'm not like, against. I'm not against that stuff too. But I'm also like, I don't. I don't want you know my girl out there showing the goods either. But here's what I would say: Then don't date a surfer. Who posted those photos before she dated you? Like, yeah, that was who she was. You can't change. Yeah, somebody. you're not gonna change somebody, you right? Know what yeah. I mean? like, if, if she if she switched up on you, if that's what you were attracted to. That's that's who you're attracted to. Don't try to change that. Foul point. You yeah, know, if that was the case, then shame on you, Jonah. That that was the case. Yeah. What a piece of shit this guy is. Wow, you you just pivoted right on Jonah. Well, come on, I was talking. You, we you haven't heard his side of the story. Hold on, yet. I wanted you and I to tag team Jonah real quick. I, listen, I am not tag teaming Jonah. I think Jonah's a very nice individual who's probably going through some shit, and there's his side of the story. I haven't heard it, so I will reserve judgment for a later time. Oh, okay. Sounds like you already made your, You've already done your research on this. I've not done my research on it. He has not. He has not spoken on this. He has not retorted. Retorted. Uh, so uh, until such time as he has uh, got some evidence that I can I can review as well. Uh huh. I, I don't know that I can opine yet. All right. So let's get into these two reviews, these two five-star honest reviews. Mm -hmm. All right. This one from EZ0909. Love the literacy. I thoroughly enjoy how these guys can take reports and info that is confusing for a dummy like me and make it understandable. First of all, that's not true. You are not a dummy. You're clearly a very intelligent individual who appreciates the finer arts in life. You, have a, you, have, you make great choices in life. You listen to this podcast. Clearly, you know what you're doing. I mean, I don't want to say you're Beethoven, but I want to say you're on that level. You're right. I mean, okay. you're right there. Yeah. Your, your ability to understand and process quality audio is genius. Genius. Yeah. There you go. Next, uh, this from 307 Megan Mack. Intelligent conversation. I so appreciate the candid and thorough conversation around financial news. We do, too. Yeah, I mean, we try to give you financial news when it comes out, as it comes out. As it comes out? I have grown increasingly tired of reading mainstream and social media news. The fucking worst, right? Yeah. The worst. The worst. You need you need this. Unsponsored. It did, yeah. News. This is, no one's paying us to say that, you know, this shit's happening. Yeah, and Sam Bakeman Fry is a piece of shit. He is a piece of shit, for example. We're not being paid to say that. That's just legitimately how Saeed feels about all crypto bros. No, not all. Stop it. I'm not trying to get chopped up, man. It's Saeed at gmail.com. <laughs> um, S-A-I-E-D. Stop. Wow. At gmail.com. Enough. <laughs> I have grown increasingly tired of reading mainstream and social media news for the sens uh, 
sensationalized skew. It's refreshing to have thoughtful conversation around flashy headlines. Yeah. We take those big flashy headlines that are meant to draw you in and suck you in with information and disinformation. And we break it down. Yeah. So that you know that you're not being sucked in. You're being spit out. <laughs> exactly. Are they bullish? Are they dovish? Do you want it or do you not want it? Or, yeah. What yeah. is it? Look, why is it always got to be animals? What? Yeah. What's up with the animal you know, thing? Sometimes bulls can be affectionate. Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not for that. And doves can be little shitters. You I know, like... Yeah, the, the white doves, like, that's not, I mean, fly away. Get away I from almost me. sang when doves cry again. I had to hold back. <laughs> <laughs> it's also great to have parts of your personality and friendships. You are giving permission to intense people, myself included, to remember that we are dynamic people with many aspects to our lives. Yes, you are. Don't be a boring, sad asshole just because you got a serious life. Yeah, stop being so intense. Yeah, I mean, like a room just, today, very intense. Wow, he came, he did not like you today. He did not. What did you do to him? I don't know. Pre-show, I was, I was wondering the same thing. Arun, you got some? What? Why? You're just a bad friend, Brad. I'm sorry, I, I couldn't hear it. Was, was that? You I, see? Was, I was crying. He's crying. Oh. You're just a bad friend. You know, I just want to point out something as a bad friend to you. <laughs> A clearly a better friend is I do edit the audio of the show, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, when I go home, unlike the YouTube, which you guys uh, lovingly edit, which you have the nice sound and mixed and mastered audio, I like to, I like to pep up a little pep of the audio that we hear on the streaming platform. So I go through and I make it extra crispy, do some DSing so you don't get the sounds and all that stuff. And I make it, you know, pleasant to listen to, to stream, mm -hmm. which means I listen to everybody's audio. Uh, independent of one another, yours, mine, his, Arun's. And uh, I got to tell you, there's been a number of times where you've clearly been surfing the gram. <laughs> what do you mean? What is he doing? I can hear when the phone pops on because, you know, he's on mute back there most of the time. And when he's going through like Instagrams, you're lying. Oh, yeah. There's audio like where he's like, I swear to God, it was like when the Pee Wee Herman died, there was like a whole Pee Wee Herman thing that he was like, I was like, what the oh, hell? Because he was trying to find content for the show. No, man. no, no. If that was true, it'd be playing on the channels that I have also recorded. Dude, what are you doing, man? Why are you trying to oust this guy? I'm not ousting. I'm just saying, like, you know. He's just an asshole, remember? <laughs> just an asshole. And that's how you end the show, how you start it. it One took... of the classic keys of comedy is you begin the joke and end the joke the same way, bringing it all back together. Full circle. She, uh, This person wraps up, it is normal to have interests, concerns, etc., but at times people lose sight of our dynamic lives. Yeah, we're people. We have feelings. Stop My losing, feelings are hurt right now. Stop losing sight of his dynamic life. He's got two under two, man. Yeah. You don't know what that's like. And his wife's got three. See, you don't know what that's like. At one point, you outranked him. You had one, and he, and he didn't have any. Now he's got two. He outranks you. I feel like you're taking a fertility joke at me because I'm on testosterone. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do. That's cold-blooded, man. It's not, it's not, look, he's got a thousand, you know, times higher testosterone level than I do. The guy is clearly stud. He is. Some of us are enhanced. Some of us are just naturally gifted. Hmm. All right. We'll leave it there. Ernie, you still listening to the show at all, or are you just... Uh, I'm on the ground. <laughs> Full circle with this guy. Well, then. He knows what he's doing. Call it, Saeed. Make sure you go over to YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe, hit that notification bell, do all that. Fuck and that. You smash that like button. Smash that shit. Leave smash us an honest... shit out of it. Leave us an honest five-star review on Apple, Spotify. Do the goody good. Let's go. We're out. Goody good? The goody good. All right. I'll bye. <laughs>
Good night, everybody. No bye? Goody good. The goody good.